Hey, good morning. Welcome. I'm glad that you're here, and I hope that you feel safe, you feel welcome to experience something of Jesus. We have a guest speaker with us. He's a really dear friend of mine, um, and he's just an all-around great guy, and he pastors the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville. Uh, His name's Adam Russell. Will you join me in welcoming him? Now I'm talking. (laughs) Technology. Okay, we're good. It's the opposite of Cleveland, and that has made this trip just like really refreshing to me. Um, I don't want to leave Kentucky. I love where I live. I love the rural landscape of where I'm from, but because I live there, it's really great to come to the city, you know? You know, it, it, it's great to come to a place with good food everywhere, and uh, it's, it's been cool. Evan and I have had a great time. Um, I want to talk to you this morning. As I was prepping for our time together, I was just spending a little time in prayer the last couple of weeks, just praying for the, you and praying for this church, and uh, just really asking God, like, what do you want to say to the vineyard in Cleveland? And I, it took me a day or two, but I felt like what the Lord was saying was something really simple, and He reminded me of a scripture And specifically, the word that God gave me for you guys was, do not grow weary in doing good. Now, if you're a Bible person, if you're a Bible person at all, you know that those are the words that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatian church. And it's Galatians chapter 6. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to read about 10 verses and I think there's even some stuff in those verses that may be for you guys, but I'm not really going to highlight on. But I want to give you some context because it's not really great to read just one verse and pick it out. I want to give a little context for it. And then I want to share with you a little bit about what I think God might be saying to us uh, at this church and, and maybe even to just as believers about what it means to not grow weary in doing good. That'd be all right? Okay, great. Hey, uh, we'll start in... Chapter 6, verse 1. Paul said quite a bit up to this point, but we've got to jump in somewhere, so we'll start there. He says to the church, he says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Other translations say, if someone is caught in any sin, you who are, live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted Carry each other's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one of you should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will receive eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, but especially those who belong to the family of God believers. Amen. All right. Hey, this is, uh, 
we're jumping right in the middle of something that Paul was saying to the Galatian church. I want to give you a little background context and then we'll move forward. So before Galatians chapter 6, there's Galatians chapter 5. And in Galatians chapter 5, there are those two famous lists. Paul talks about, well, if you, if you live by the flesh or if you live according to your sinful nature, you can expect this kind of fruit. And it's, by the way, it's all bad stuff, right? But then he also says, hey, if you live by the Spirit, if you live according to the Spirit, then you can expect this kind of stuff. And it's that real famous list that maybe you learned in, in, in vacation Bible school or maybe you learned at, at kids' church or maybe your grandmama told you. But it's the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. You know that list? Yeah, the good stuff. These are the kinds of things that life in the Spirit grows. So there's, that was chapter 5. But the bigger thing that was happening in the Galatian churches, there seemed to be some kind of a controversy, which in some ways gives me great joy because at least, at least I know that I'm not alone in pastoring a church that sometimes has controversy. But one of the things I've discovered uh, after many years of following Jesus and doing this church thing is that sometimes conflict is the price of community. It's just, it is what it is. Well, what is the controversy that existed in the Galatian church? Uh, it was essentially this. The Galatians had captured or had latched on to some teaching that essentially went along these lines. And it was this. You know, believing in Jesus is good. That's, that's great. We're for it. But what you really need to do if you want to be a saved person or if you want to be on the inside with God, if you want to be on God's team, what you really need to do is you got you to... Gotta, you got to take a bunch of the Old Testament Jewish law, and you really need, in some ways, to become a Jew, and then from your Jewishness, be a Christian. Because, well, Jesus was a Christian. I mean, Jesus was a Jew, and the faith started with the Jews, and you know, Abraham is our father. And so, if you really want to be a Christian, then you really need to grab on to a lot of this Old Testament regulations that God spoke to his children. You need to do that. And so uh, especially the thing that kind of latched onto was circumcision. Like if you really want to be on the inside of the crew, you need to get circumcised. And, and Paul shows up and says, well, actually, no, you don't have to. Uh, that's not the way it works. This is how God is working uh, in this time. It's, it's very simple. If you want to be on the inside with God, if you want to be on God's team, it goes like this. Put your trust, put your faith Put your, your confidence in Jesus that everything that God has done in his own son, he has also done to you. This is the good news. The good news is that every single thing that has happened to Jesus has happened to us. And so Jesus was crucified on the cross. Jesus was laid in the tomb. Jesus was resurrected. This is Romans 6. Paul says this. He says, you've been crucified. You've been raised with Christ. So every single thing that has happened to Jesus has somehow mysteriously, mystically, and wonderfully happened to me and you. This is the good news. It isn't your works. It isn't your effort. It isn't keeping Old Testament regulations. It isn't remaining kosher. Those are not the things that keep you safe with God. What keeps you safe with God is trusting in Jesus. That's it. And if you can do that, wonderful, right? Here's the really amazing news. The amazing news is this, that the world right now, the entire world stands forgiven before God. They just don't know it. God has, God, has, God has laid the entire cosmos and raised it up in his son. And, and we can 
That's what salvation is. Salvation is waking up to what God has already done. This is the good news. Well, that's the sort of the backstory that gets us up to where we're at here. And what Paul is saying is, if you will put simple trust into Jesus, then you begin to live the Spirit-filled life. And if you live the Spirit-filled life, if you live to please the Spirit, you'll begin to grow this amazing fruit in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. I mean, how do you understand that, that, that gentle Christians could change the world? Like, like gentleness. We live in, a, in an increasingly harsh society. Uh, the rhetoric, the political rhetoric right now in our country is, is harsh, it's demeaning, and it's, it's divisive. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit that could do an amazing work among God's people. Paul says if you will live according to the Spirit, you produce this amazing fruit. But here's what I want to point out to you this morning, especially as it relates to not growing weary. Growing the fruit of the Spirit might not be easy. In fact, living the life of the Spirit is not always easy. In fact, being a Christian is not always easy. There's a difference between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit you can just receive. God's giving them and you can receive them and you have them and, and they, can, they can be yours and they can begin to put to use and all kinds of things. We could have a service, we could pray for some people, we could take a little time and, and, and you could be a person who's never given a prophetic word and, and in 30 minutes I can have you prophesying. They're gifts of the Spirit. They happen like this. Fruit of the Spirit? Eh, a little different. Fruit is always the thing that comes at the end of the harvest. And there's oftentimes a lot of work, a lot of effort, and, and a lot of time that goes into fruit. Fruit is sometimes slow and sometimes difficult. Living the life of the Spirit is not always easy. It's not always like sledding down a snowy hill. I understand that you guys in Cleveland have snow. I understand you had it like last week, right? It's winter here like 10 months a year. Yeah. We don't get snow like you guys do in Kentucky, but we do get snow. And one of the things that I do every single November, because usually it's decent-ish in Kentucky up through November. One of the things I do on my farm is at the end of November, I get my tractor out. I get my bush hog. Bush hog's like a mower you put behind a tractor, for those of you who don't know. And I, and I go, I have a big hill on my farm, like this giant hill. And I mow two big swaths of my hill. I mow it down really, really close because I know at some point it's going to snow and my kids and I, we want to go fast, right? It's really great. Sometimes the life of the Spirit is not like that. Sometimes the life of the Spirit isn't just you hop on and you get to the bottom and everything's great. Anybody here ever tried following Jesus and discovered it was a lot harder than you imagined it was going to be at the beginning? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's difficult. And this is why I believe that Paul says, do not grow weary. Do not grow weary. And that's what I want to talk to you about for the next few minutes this morning. And the first thing I want to say about getting tired or getting weary is this. Being tired and being weary is human nature. It's, it's human nature. Like whatever we do, whatever you do, it will most likely make you tired at some point. Even if it's something you really enjoy and even if it's something that you're really good at and even if it's a good thing, like even good things can make you tired. Even fun things can make you tired right? Uh, for instance, I have uh, four kids, 
14, 12, 10, and 3. We weren't anticipating the three-year-old. <laughs> You've figured that out by now. But my two oldest boys, actually my, my three oldest kids, River, Seth, and Magnolia, they all play soccer. But my two oldest boys, they play travel ball, and they're quite good at it, and they love soccer. In fact, they love soccer so much that they will get up early on Saturday and Sunday mornings. They will get up at 6 a.m. on a Sunday morning so that they can watch the Arsenal play in the Premier League because, you know, that whole time thing, and they're playing in England. And How many of you understand that if a 14-year-old boy is getting up at 6 a.m. on a Sunday to catch a game, it's because he loves it? And he's quite good. They're both quite good. Uh, River, who was in eighth grade, uh, started center mid for the varsity travel team uh, in, our, in our town. He's a little guy, and he's an absolute animal. He is the sweetest, kindest kid off the field, and as soon as he goes on the field, the, some kind of a switch gets flipped. He turns into a, the Hulk. Anyway. They love to play soccer. River and Seth play soccer all the time. They play travel ball when we're home. They play soccer. They're kicking into the net. They play against each other, and it wears them out. And after they play, they will come in, and they will just pass out on the couch. It's human nature to get tired and to get weary. And it's not because they're unfit either. They've played soccer so long. My boys are like twisted steel. River took his shirt off the other day, and I'm glad, I can tell this story because he's not here. He took his shirt off the other day, and he, he didn't have a six-pack. He had an eight-pack. I didn't even know that was possible. I was shamed by my 14-year-old son in my own house. I said, put your shirt on. <laughs> but even someone who's that fit gets tired. It's, it's human nature to get tired. It's human nature... To get tired if we're doing things we love, even if we're doing things that are good, even if we're doing ministry. I bring it up because being tired and being weary speaks to human capacity. And here's what I mean by that. We are all limited beings. Everybody here has a limited capacity in every single way, emotionally, intellectually, physically, spiritually. There's, this, there's, there's a sense in which we're, we're limited. There's only one unlimited being in the universe. He's God. We are not. He, we are the crown of his creation. We are the apple of his eye. But we are limited. Everybody here is limited. You will eventually run up against your limitations in life. Uh, how many of you know that if you have uh, gone through some uh, relational difficulties, how many of you understand that in those moments of experiencing relational difficulties, you run into your emotional limits? Anybody ever run into their emotional min- limits? That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Uh, anybody here ever started like going to the gym and trying to get in shape only to discover your physical limits? Yeah, I'll tell you a funny story about myself. Uh, I started going to the gym about three years ago again because being a pastor is the worst thing for your body. <laughs> you know, meetings with people over food all the time, it's not great for your body. So I started going to the gym again, and I was doing my thing, and I normally work out alone. And about last year, I went into the gym, and um, I thought, I'm going to bench press today, and I'm feeling pretty strong. And I put some weight on that bar, and I threw it up, and I thought, well, that's pretty awesome. I'll put some more weight on that bar, and threw that up and I thought you know what I'm feeling like I'm stronger than I've ever been I've grown I'm gonna put some more weight and this is gonna be the most weight I've ever done and I and 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 I, I put a pathetic amount of weight on the bar it, it, it wasn't impressive it was only 170 pounds like people who lift weights know this is not impressive but for me 
This was impressive. I put the 170 pounds on the bar. I brought it down. I was going to do four reps. I got one, and I pushed it up, and I thought, this is amazing. I got two. I pushed it up, and then I got down, and I pushed, and I, I got halfway up. I'm like, bar, shaking. I'm shaking. And then I'm looking around the gym, and there's no one to help me, and it's coming back on me. And then finally, it's just sitting on my chest. And I know there's a guy in the stretch room. And I'm like, hey. Hey. And he finally comes out and he, he gives me the lift of shame. Right? And he's laughing the whole time. He looks right, you know, he's above me like this. He looks at me. He grabs the bar and he says to me, don't lift alone. You know? I ran up against my physical limitations. We have limited capacity, emotional, physical. We're just, we're not unlimited. So being tired and being weary speaks to being a human. Furthermore, because it speaks to being a human, I really feel it's important to say this as well. Having limited capacity is not a bad thing. After all, it is how God made you and me. Now this is important because when Paul says, do not grow weary in doing good, what he is not saying is that we should try really hard to be something that we can never be. That's actually a freeing word. Paul says, don't grow weary in doing good. And when he says it, what he's not trying to say is that you and I should work really hard at trying to be something that we can never be. What I mean by that is trying to be people who never get tired of doing good. He's not saying that we should try to defy the laws of nature or the universe. And he's also not saying that living by grace or living in the Spirit means that we will somehow be able to do all kinds of great things and not grow weary. And by the way, this idea, this one little strain of an idea is an idea that's oftentimes present in more charismatic movements or charismatic churches. And by the way, by the, way the, the vineyard is a charismatic movement in a charismatic church. We're a third wave church. We believe that the Spirit is here. He wants to do things. We believe in gifts of healing and prophecy and encouragement. We believe in all of that. But when we believe that, what we're not at the same time saying is, we don't believe that living by the Spirit means that we just, that the laws of the universe don't apply to us. That we're always defying all the No, it's actually not true. Uh, Living by grace doesn't mean I'll never get tired if I'm doing ministry. Living by grace doesn't mean I'll never get tired if I'm serving in the church. Living by grace doesn't mean I won't get weary if I'm trying to be Jesus' disciple. What living by grace means, it means that we will learn how to work within the laws of the universe so that we can be people who sustain and do not grow weary. There's a difference there. There's a big difference there. So let me talk to you about grace and the life of the Spirit just for a minute. Um, sometimes, Sometimes things are happening like really good things, and it doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like. Sometimes God is at work, and it seems like nothing is happening. Sometimes the Spirit is at work, and it's really quiet. Now, sometimes God's at work, and it's very visible. Sometimes the Spirit's at work, and it is so knowable. It's out in front, and it's just, of course, that's God. But then sometimes what God is doing is quiet. It is 
almost invisible and it's nearly imperceivable. And you can skip right over it if you weren't looking for it or if you don't have a theology that allows for a much quieter form of grace. Let me say it this way. We'll just put it in the Jesus story here for a second. Jesus was crucified on Friday. He was crucified on Friday and he was raised on Sunday, right? This is the work of the Spirit. This is the work of grace. Crucified on Friday, raised on Sunday. But what happened in between? What happened in between is Jesus laid stone cold dead in the tomb and he did nothing. And can I tell you something? That too was grace. Sometimes we think God is doing nothing. Sometimes we do the equation of nothing is happening here. Sometimes we look around our lives and we become discouraged because we think, well, I don't really see or hear anything. We think maybe God's abandoned us and it's absolutely not true. Some of what God is up to is visible, and then some of what God is doing is hidden, small, and almost unperceivable. I'll frame it for you like this. My family and I, we own a vineyard. We own about six, well, we actually own about seven and a half acres of wine grapes, and we have a winery, and we make wine. Uh, That freaks some people out because I'm a pastor, but that's okay. It's complicated. We've had our vineyard for about 10 years. So I have it with my, it's me and my wife, my father-in-law, and my brother-in-law. We own about 100 acres together, and we got this bright idea one day we wanted to be winemakers. We planted grapes. We had no idea what we were doing. I learned how to prune on YouTube. (laughs) Anyway, we just finished pruning about a month ago, and, and now we're doing some other things. But the life of the vineyard it it speaks to the life of grace in so many ways. It speaks to the life of the Spirit. Like, we do everything that we do in the vineyard because we want to get a harvest, and we want to get a harvest because we want to crush that harvest and we want to ferment that harvest into wine. That's the point. We want to sit around our table, we want to have wine in a bottle, and we want to have the delight of family and fellowship and friendship and meals. That's the life of the Spirit. That's what we're going for. We sell some of our wine because we want other people to have their families around tables, and we want them to have fellowship, and then we want them to laugh. Does this make sense? Like, that's the point. That's the obvious point. But what happens before that are all of these little steps. So in February, when it's cold, I go out and we prune our vineyard. And we prune each one of the vines by hand. And there are about 800 plants per acre. 800 times 7. You do the math. It takes more than a minute. And you have to pay attention because everything you're doing is setting the fruit for this vineyard, not only this year, but next year. You're always working a year and a half ahead. So you're thinking, it's a weird way of thinking. You're pruning. And then not only that, after we get on pruning, this amazing and magical thing happens. It's called bud break. And those vines that look utterly dead, they look absolutely dead. They come back to life. All, all of a sudden they swell up and these little leaves appear. And then the leaves turn into these little tendrils and the tendrils start shooting up. And we have a trellis. And right now my sons and I, every single night after dinner, we go and spend 30, 45 minutes or maybe an hour and we tuck vines. We just tuck them back up into the trellis because we don't want the canopy to fall on the ground, right? Because if the canopy falls on the ground, then the fruit ends up on the ground. And if the fruit's on the ground, then it'll just get eaten by bugs and it will rot. So what we end up doing is we do all these little things. We prune, we prune, 
we talk, we talk, we weed the vineyard. And you know what? When we finish pruning, no one ever gives me a standing ovation. And when my sons and I finish tucking, you know what we do after that? We go back to the top of the hill and we start tucking again because they've grown again and they're back out. And so we tuck them back up. And at the end of tucking, no one ever gives me a standing ovation. The truth is, uh, pruning the vineyard, tucking the vineyard, uh, cultivating the vineyard, weeding the vineyard, it's never really all that exciting. I don't really get a buzz from pruning the vineyard. There's, there's, there's not really any kind of happiness or joy that's on the surface in doing that work. In fact, most of the work is utterly unimpressive. Uh, people come out and they're, no, no one's ever really all that fascinated by the dailiness of the work. But at the same time, if we don't do that, there'll be no harvest. And if there is no harvest, there's no fermentation. And if there's no fermentation, there's nothing in the bottle. And if there's nothing in the bottle, there's nothing to drink with dinner. And if we're not having something to drink with dinner, then a part of the joy that is our family gets lost. What's the point? The point is, oftentimes the work of the Spirit and the work of grace is happening at this really slow pace that is in many ways unimpressive. Utterly unimpressive. Feels and looks a little insignificant, but it leads up to something that's stunning. And by the way, it is a special feeling when you have grown grapes on your own property and you ferment it and you age it in barrels and you bottle it and you sit down at your dinner with your family, with your kids who helped you and you open it up and you have a meal. That's a special feeling. Yeah, that's the breakthrough. But the breakthrough is often happening at the speed of dailiness. Now here's the reason I framed it this way. I framed it this way because I believe one of the main reasons people give up, grow weary, and get tired of doing good is because oftentimes it is happening at an apparent lack of measurable progress. Oftentimes we get tired and we get weary because it seems like nothing is moving in our life. Oftentimes we get tired and we get weary with people. Oftentimes we get tired and we get weary with relationships. Oftentimes we get tired and we get weary in church because it seems like we're working in an area and there's nothing measurable happening. But just because there's nothing measurable happening right now, this very instant, it doesn't mean there's nothing happening. We have to attenuate our expectations and our view on what grace in the life of the Spirit is. See, here's the thing, church. We live in a measuring culture. We measure everything. And much of the, we, we, we want to do the math like this. We want to say this much effort gives this much reward. And sometimes there are things in church and in your own spiritual life that you can measure. Uh, the truth is, I'm not even against measuring. But what I am against is, I am against a view of grace or a view of the spirit life that is only only connected to what is measurable because oftentimes what God is up to is not measurable, at least in the moment. And here's what I've also, also discovered. Sometimes we give up on people, relationships, projects, callings, invitations from God, or just a walk with Jesus. We give up because it was not measurable and we give up right before a breakthrough is about to happen. We give up one season, one cycle right before the harvest comes. I've done it. Let me put it this way. How many of you are people who needed multiple touches in your walk with Jesus to, to grow up and to get over some of your stuff? 
Yeah. Aren't you glad people didn't give up on you when it seemed like nothing was happening? Aren't you glad that your pastor didn't give up on you? Aren't you glad that your home group leader didn't give up on you? Aren't you glad that your, like, your mama and your sister didn't give up on you when you went nuts and they were praying for you? Aren't you glad? When it seemed like nothing was happening? Yeah. Sometimes we give up. Uh, the second reason I think that people grow weary and get, get really tired in doing the Jesus walk is because they go alone. Doing anything alone is a recipe for burnout and fatigue, even if you're doing really good things. Don't do anything alone. There's this African proverb, it goes like this, if you want to go fast, you go alone, but if you want to go far, you go together. And it's so true. It's so, so true. It's so true, especially for us as Jesus people. It's so true when it comes to ministry. We really need each other. We really do need each other. We need the unique gifts, we need the unique callings, and we need the unique intelligences that are represented in this room right now. We need the callings and gifts and intelligence that were represented in first service. Can I tell you something? Uh, you or I alone, we can do probably very little, uh, very little that's lasting or, or, or of substance for the kingdom, but all of us together, oh man, we could do something. I have this sneaky suspicion that there are gifts, callings, and intelligences that are represented in this room that if they're seen, honored, valued, and, and connected, oh my goodness, we could probably do some damage in Cleveland. My guess is there's like some really smart people here and there's some other really talented people here. And my guess is we've got some like, we've got some people who are probably good at this and good at that. And when they get connected and they honor each other and they're not competing with one another and they're not fighting to hold the microphone or to get a platform, but we're, but we're working towards something bigger. It's called the kingdom of God. I have this feeling that if we become a culture that values the gifts, callings, and intelligences that we find in one another, that we could do something really amazing tell you another really quick story. It goes along with this. Uh, five years ago, five years ago, um, the main street in our town was completely barren. And the main street in our town is, is like a prototypical small town, you know, American main street. You know, the buildings are like 100, 150 years old. They're brick and they're very cool. And uh, it, it just, it looks like the sort of main street where you could go out and have a gunfight with someone, you know, just <laughs> makes more sense where I'm from. Anyway, <laughs> but it's that kind of town, but it was totally barren, you know, like it was, it was, it was just, it was nothing. All the buildings were basically boarded up and there was nothing there, you know. Uh, anyway, anyway, God began to speak to us and in the process of speaking to us, uh, he began to talk to us about renewal and that renewal wasn't just something that happened in here, but it had to be something that happens out there. And he began to give us uh, Isaiah 61, which is, uh, Jesus' first sermon that he preached. Uh, and everybody always preaches the first about three verses of Isaiah 61. The one verse they never preach is verse 4, which says they'll, build, they'll rebuild their ancient cities and the desolated and the devastated places. And some of our people in our church started to believe that we were supposed to rebuild the city, not just, not just in terms of people being saved, but, in, but we began to recalibrate salvation, meaning that buildings and town and businesses should come back to life, Right? Well, in the process of doing that, we discovered that there were a lot of people who were called to ministry, but they were never called to be on staff at a church. They were called to pastor. They were called to be apostolic, prophetic, and evangelist as business people, right? We began to, we began to value, name, and honor a new kind of intelligence and a new way of being. And in the process of that, process of that in the last five years, 
Main Street has come back to life. It's 75% full. And almost all of it is vineyard people. So much so, so much so that the mayor wrote me an email and said, Adam, what are you teaching at your church? Right? I just sent him an email that said, come and see. Long story short, he and I have become friends, and, and, and there's been this real renewal that's happened, and it has happened not just in people's lives, not just in, in some of the things that we, we typically associate with healthy churches in terms of baptizing people and having more home groups. I love baptizing people. I love more home groups. But what's really awesome is when the gospel becomes not just a private individual thing that saves you from hell sometime later, but begins to go outward into a city and redeem a city from the hell that is right now. That's a really amazing thing. But to do that, we have to value the gifts and callings here. Listen, Cleveland's no different than Campbellsville. And you guys are, 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 are no different than us. We're actually not that talented. We just started to work together in a, in, a, in a significant way. And we started to value some gifts that were not normally valued in church. Here's the thing. You don't need to have a gift of preaching. You just need to have an obedient heart before Jesus. That's it. That's it. Can't do it alone. All right. Number three, self-awareness. If we're not going to burn out, if we're not going to get tired, we've got to have self-awareness. <clears throat> All right, tell you another little story here. Um, many of you who know a little bit of church history know that 500 years ago, there was this little thing that happened that was called the Reformation, right? Martin Luther nails his 95 theses on the church store, and there was a, there was a schism between the Catholic Church, and what became known as the Protestant Church. That'd be us. Anyway, at the same time, at the same time that this Reformation thing happened, and, you know, hey, we're here, so praise God. At the same time that this Reformation happened, within the Catholic Church, there began a counter-Reformation, a renewal on the inside. And it happened mostly with a guy named Ignatius of Loyola. Anybody here heard of Ignatius of Loyola? Yeah, this guy, this guy's a stud. Like, this is, a, he's a hero, okay? Ignatius of Loyola. Okay, so here's what essentially happens with Ignatius of Loyola. He gets three, three or six friends, depending on how you read the history, and they start something called the Society or the Friends of Jesus, which later became known as the Jesuits. And they began, they began, uh, they began basically uh, gospeling the world. Gospeling the world. Now, of course, they did it in a, in a Catholic context, but praise the Lord, so much of what they have done has benefited the planet in amazing ways. But here's what's amazing to me. It still exists. Like the Jesuits are still a thing. How many of you would like to start or be a part of something that lasted 500 years? Isn't it amazing that that could happen? Well, anyway, the Jesuits have these four pillars that are like are, are, are ways of being, ways in which they engage the world. And one of their pillars is self-awareness. Now, this one is important, I think, especially when it comes to being tired or weary, because uh, it's one of those things that our culture is l dramatically low in. We're, not, we're like not self-aware people, and one of the reasons we're not self-aware people is because we're actually afraid to be honest about who we really are with ourselves or with another person. But I want to share with you just another thing or two. See, here's the thing. Um, we have to overcome our own internal insecurities by becoming self-aware, because insecurities, they zap us of emotional energy. 
like profoundly zap us of emotional energy. Uh, have you ever wondered why artists and musicians are oftentimes like totally whacked out people? I can say this because I am one. Rufus, you know, me and Rufus. Why, 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 are, why, are, why are artists and musicians oftentimes whacked out people? Well, here's why. It's because artists and musicians are just like everybody else. We all have a need for significance. And by the way, you cannot pray your need for significance away. So stop trying. However, you have to find your need for significance from God. But RC musicians oftentimes get really whacked out and go crazy because they have a heightened sense of, uh, of a need for significance that is in many ways disconnected from God. And they begin to perform in order to get significance and then we enter into this, this cycle where I need something from you. And in that process, all of the emotional energy just begins to fizzle. And so musicians often have to turn to other substances or other relationships in order to get the sizzle. Does this make sense? Yeah. All right. So, for instance, you know, the guy from my generation, and I'll just date myself here. I'm 38 years old. The guy from my generation was Kurt Cobain, right? Like, Kurt was singing the songs of my generation. He was singing the songs for anybody who was ever, like, a mostly a, a latchkey kid whose parents were divorced and, and were, were left alone to raise themselves. So what you hear in Kurt's voice, it hit my generation because that's who we were. But Kurt ended up killing himself because, because I believe, because his need for significance never got corralled by the people of God and never got attached to Jesus, who was the only person who could ever heal little Kurt on the inside and and it's the reason why he ended up doing something so dramatic this is why self-awareness is such a big deal because we're without self-awareness without being able to name our insecurities and also to name our motivations why are we doing something so here's one of the things we do in church a lot of times we'll say well I'm doing something because God wants me to do it sometimes we baptize what we want to do with God told me to do it I mean, God is oftentimes speaking to us. We believe in that. But sometimes we just baptize it with God told me to do it. And we haven't yet been honest about our own fear, our own insecurities, our need for significance. And we also haven't been honest about our motivations for why we do something. And until we name it and own it, it owns us. Where does fatigue come from? Sometimes fatigue is coming from an insecurity monster that is unnamed and unowned. Overcoming fatigue and tiredness. We need rhythm and strategy. Hey, listen, rhythm and strategy are essential for longevity. The more we do in ministry or in life, the more we have to develop a mindset for pace. Marathon runners, they are not just interested in becoming people with stronger legs. Marathon runners are interested in pace, in pace. They're interested in a rhythm. They're interested in being able to go on further. See, here's the thing. Our life in Jesus is not a sprint. It is not a 100-meter dash. It is a marathon. It's actually an ultra-marathon. Anybody in here ever heard of these people who run these crazy races called ultra-marathons? Yeah, I have two friends. They live in Montana. They just, this last fall, they did a 75-mile run in the mountains. Brutal. Brutal. How do you do that? If you're running 75 miles in the mountains of Montana, you're not only interested in speed. 
you're interested in pace. And the life with Jesus is more like a 75-mile run in the Montana mountains than it is a 100-yard dash. We have to become interested in pace and rhythms. We're all running marathons. We are all running marathons. And so we have to develop healthy rhythms. This means that you and I have to take things like the Sabbath seriously. You know, and that could be Saturday for you, that could be Sunday for you, that could be Monday, but you need a Sabbath. You need, you need a space where you are not primarily doing much, you're just being. You, you need a time in your week. You need, you, need a, you need a one count. You need a kick drum in your week that is really disconnected from you doing something and it's just about being at rest with God. One. One, you need a rhythm. Everybody in here needs a rhythm. We need to take things like seasons very seriously. There needs to be times when we are on, but there also needs to be times when we are off. Many of you guys are leading ministries here at the church. Uh, You need to have times when you're not leading ministries at the church. Uh, Some of you are not leading a ministry at the church, and you haven't led one for many, many years, and you used to, and it's time to come back on. It's time to come back on. We need to have things like seasons built into our life. How many of you have ever seen geese flying in formation? Right? Geese fly in formation, and they're able to fly for hundreds and thousands of miles. They migrate like crazy. And, one, and they're a big bird. That means they're heavy. So they're overcoming miles and their own physical structure. And one of the ways they're able to do that is they fly in that formation. They're not just, they're not just showing off for us. Right? So one bird will fly at the point. That bird has the hardest job because he's making the way. The rest of the birds subsequently are drafting off of that one bird. And then after that bird gets tired, he will go back, he or she will go back, and the bird who's at the last, the very end, will come up and, and fly point. We need to adopt a, 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 a geese flying V formation model of ministry in the church. There needs to be seasons where we are on and seasons where we are off. We need to have a rhythms and pace setting things like Sabbath in our life. We need, to, we need to be in and then we need to just be a part. Be in and then just be a part. Lead and then be a part. Lead and be a part. Both are good and right. It keeps us from becoming weary, like really weary. And then finally, we need inner flow. And this is a part of our peace and strategy as well. well. We need to be receiving from God in ministry. If you are giving, if you are giving in ministry, if you are giving in your neighborhood, at your school, at the place where you work, if you are walking with Jesus and you are trying to lead other people, that is great, that is good, you should do it. But you also have to have some kind of place in your life where you're receiving something from God where you're really receiving something from God. And by the way, one Bible study or one prayer time probably won't do it. Uh, here's what I found. Uh, one Bible study and one quiet time probably won't do you any good. A month of Bible study and a month of a quiet time probably won't do you any good either. However, six months or a year, now we're starting to cook. It's the dailiness. But we have to begin to receive from the Lord. Jesus oftentimes went to the mountain to pray. Jesus oftentimes left his disciples. Jesus wasn't just doing. Jesus was oftentimes receiving from his father. Jesus wasn't defying the laws of nature. He wasn't playing the God card in his strength. He had a pace in his life. He was also receiving from God. It'll be the same for us. 
If you want to be the kind of person who's not going to bonk out, get really weary, get really tired, get super weird, and do something you really, really regret, we have to begin to receive from the Lord. We just have to. Jesus was going to the mountain to pray, and sometimes Jesus went on beach vacation. Did you guys know that Jesus went on beach vacation? He really did. It's in Matthew chapter 15. You can read about it. There's this moment where it says in the Gospels that Jesus went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And if you want to look in your Bible at some point, I recommend it. Flip back to the book of Maps, you know, and look where Tyre and Sidon are. They're on the Mediterranean Sea. Why did Jesus go there? You just need to read what was happening before. Jesus had done a lot of ministry. Jesus was just going on beach vacation. Now, it's typical, Jesus, he's on beach vacation and ministry finds him. A woman comes knocking on the door and says, hey, I got a need, right? But sometimes what we need in order to sustain our life is not just to be people who are doing things, but be people who are on vacation as well. Listen, how many of y'all know, like, if, if you guys are surviving, like, Cleveland winters, you need to go to the beach. And going to the beach isn't, isn't unspiritual. It might be the thing that sustains you for another year of obeying God, following Jesus, and being a happy neighbor, and being a good dad, being a good mom, and not wanting to like claw somebody's face off by mid-November. Yeah, I'm just giving permission this morning. I'm just, that's, that's a pastor's main job. Give permission, give vision. Yeah. Here's what I do to receive from Jesus. Uh, I read the Bible. I read the Bible, and then uh, my prayer life is uh, 90% of something I call sitting with Jesus. Uh, my prayer life is almost completely unspoken. When I, was, when I was a young Christian, I prayed with a lot of words, and now as, as someone who's 38 and who's walked with Jesus for a pretty good minute now, uh, my prayer life is almost no words. This is kind of how it goes. Every single morning I'll read the Bible for a few minutes, and then I have this one prayer that I almost always go to, and it goes like this. Um, Jesus, it is enough just to be here with you. And then Jesus and I sit usually for about 15 minutes in the quiet. Sometimes Jesus says something to me. More times than not, Jesus says nothing to me. But I have developed in my time of doing this, I have developed an ability to become aware of Jesus' presence even when he's not saying anything to me. I'm just becoming more and more aware that he's like with me. Not only is he with me, but he's in me. This is the thing that has developed in the last few years. It's that John 14 thing. I'll be in you, you'll be in me, we'll be in the Father. I don't know what that means, but it's good. (laughs) But it's mostly sitting with Jesus. This is a time when I'm beginning to draw on the Lord. How many of you know that being around Jesus is like amazing? Everybody who was around Jesus was changed. All the disciples were like little fraidy cats. Then they got around Jesus and they became bold as lions. How how did that happen? It's him. You got to be around him. All right, finally, Vineyard Cleveland. Here's what I think. I just think that you guys have an adventure ahead. I, I just have this feeling, this notion that that you're on the precipice of just a new thing in God. Uh, not only that, but, but Evan tells me that you're a church that's like about 25 years old, and that is not an insignificant thing. 
That's a really important thing. And then secondarily, uh, you guys have gone from one pastoral leader and you've made the transition to another pastoral leader. And that's like, that's huge, you guys. That's really huge because here's what that means. That means that this church is not based upon one man, one family, or a personality. That this is a God thing. This is not a guy thing. This is not an Eben thing. This is not a pastor thing. This is not a family thing. This is a God thing. And you guys have somehow agreed with what God's doing for his dream and his vision at Vineyard Cleveland. And you've, and you've gone with it. So this is like really good news, right? But if you're a church that's 25 years old, here's what it means. It means you're not a baby church anymore. It also means you're not an adolescent church, and you don't have acne, and you don't smell bad, and it means, and it means that you've become an adult. And here's what adults do. Adults, adults, at least put it this way, mature adults are people, are people who are no longer seeing other people in the world in terms of what can I get from it, but adults are people who, who look at other people in the world and say, what can I give to it? This is the difference between being a parent and being a baby. Babies, two-year-old babies, they are wonderful. They are selfish. And they have to be to survive, right? You get an unselfish baby, that baby won't nurse, and then you've got issues on your hands. However, if that unselfishness continues until they're 15, 16, 18, 25, what was cute and okay as a two-year-old becomes offensive, right? When we become adults, we begin to look outward at the world and we begin to say, not what can I extract from it, not what can I get, get from it, but what can I give to it. That is the difference between being an adult. That's the difference between being a baby. That's the difference between being a kid and a parent. And I have this notion, I have this sneaky feeling that God is calling you to some parent stuff now. You're 25. You've, you've shown yourself faithful. You've gotten the car and you didn't crash it. You got rid of your acne. You, you, you made it. You've, you've grown up. Uh, you're no longer just looking out for yourselves. You guys are beginning to look out at Cleveland saying, what can we give to it? You do healing on the streets. You're beginning to become interested in your neighborhoods. And I have this sneaky suspicion that God wants to do more of that. I think he wants to do more of that. And I think that the word of the Lord to you, even this morning, is don't grow weary in doing good. You've been doing great for 25 years. Let's not get tired. Let's not, let's not relax. Let's not, let's not take a back seat to the call that's on this church. Let's lean in. Let's look for ways to be strategic. Let's look for ways to be... To, to have pace as a church. Let's look for ways to be a, a sustainable moving church. Let's look for ways to not bonk out. Let's don't run this thing like a sprint. Let's, let's continue to marathon. Let's look for ways as a church to be like marathoners. Let's look for new neighborhoods that we could extend into. Here's the other thing you do when you're an adult. You find a mate and you multiply. I have this feeling that God wants to multiply this church. I have this feeling this church needs to plant some churches. Uh, I've, Evan drove me around Cleveland for the last couple of days, and every single place we went, we just kept saying basically the same thing over and over. Man, that'd be a pretty good place for a church. This feels like a good spot for a church. Where were we yesterday, Evan? When I was, where was it? Tremont. Tremont. We were in Tremont. I just kept thinking, that'd be a pretty good place for a church. Anybody here want to plant a church in Tremont? Have you ever thought of it? Dude, that'd be a great place for a church. That's a great neighborhood. There's all kinds of people there. It was kind of cool. I thought it had good vibes. It looked like the kind of place that Jesus might want to live. My, my guess is that Jesus is already living there. This is what a 25-year-old church does. You guys have opportunities that a two-year-old church doesn't have. Let's not grow weary. Amen?
Let's not grow weary. I'm telling you, the best stuff is ahead. The good stuff, it's still ahead. There's been some amazing things that happened here, but the good stuff is still in front of us. Let's not grow weary. Let's become marathoners. Let's not be sprinters. Let's be marathoners. Amen? Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand up?